0: club it's that so mls <laughs> with myself nick thornton with me as always is andrew bates andrew how are you doing on this fine expansion day
1: i'm doing great uh we've uh us as mls observers we've a new uh sibling has entered the family uh now we're... we had a baby <laughs> what did you say we had a baby we had a baby, and right now it's so cute, and it'll only be a couple of years until we're yelling at it about a penalty. <laughs> they grow up and so, so we fast. can watch
0: it flounder in its expansion season.
1: <laughs> this is a North American soccer podcast, and we, uh, we of course, are speaking about St. Louis, who this morning it was announced, um, Commissioner Don Garber announced that it will be the uh, next MLS. Team to begin play in 2022. um Can't wait. Th- this uh, uh th- it. Will be the as I joked on Twitter, the first and a half, uh, the the 1.5 team in Missouri. <laughs> because yeah. I guess Sporting Kansas City was played in Kansas City, Missouri, for much of the beginning part of their history, and 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 the current stadium is Children's Mercy Park is in Kansas City, Kansas, but the head office is still in Missouri. So so I'm willing to call that one right down the middle. <sighs>
0: do not – well, I think we already lost all our fans from SKC. so it's fine. <laughs> the, uh, um, We've already made that mistake once. They do not so this take will be kindly the, to that.
1: So this will be the 28th team. And, and the number one reaction that I saw that, you know – other than just, you know, the general excitement um, for uh, St. Louis, is um, Sacramento continuing to wait on the outside looking in. Mm. Um, yeah, I was going to say, have... it's,
0: I don't recall St. Louis really being kind of in the running. Like, we've heard nothing from them, or at least I don't recall hearing much from them in recent memory. So, I mean... Once the press conference was announced, I wasn't that surprised. But what what's going on with the Sacramento situation?
1: It really seems to be um, in in a in a strange way. This is something that that we've talked about a little bit before with some of the other issues that they created this big. The MLS created this 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 expansion bid process where people were you know invited to to bid almost like you bid for a new city or bid for like an Olympic bid. Right. Yeah. Um, and it feels like they had a bunch of people that were, were potential candidates and they cut them in and they cut them out. Um, but David Beckham's contractually obligated team jumped the line. And then Anthony Prickort tried to burn a franchise to the ground. And the easiest way to resolve that was for him. <laughs> Uh, jumping the line, this was this was uh, when they said twenty eight. This is this is the timeline. When they said they were going to expand it to twenty eight in uh, twenty sixteen, in January twenty seventeen, they received expansion of bids from groups in twelve cities: um, Charlotte, Cincinnati, Detroit, mm-hmm. Indianapolis, Nashville, Phoenix, Raleigh, Sacramento, San Diego, St. Louis, and Tampa. And Cincinnati, Detroit. Nashville and Sacramento um were the final four, were announced as the final four um, but they Garber said in in May that they are still talking uh, after Nashville got the the Cincinnati obviously got one Nashville got one, and then they said, oh well we're still talking to everybody, and we're still talking to, and if they have the right ownership, St Louis could be in there too so uh of the of that final <laughs> Of that final four teams from this, from this, uh, you know, very legit, very not legitimate because obviously it's still legitimate, but I don't, I, of this very <laughs> vaunted bidding process, of this pro,
0: this process that exists,
1: the since the final four teams were named, two have gotten expansion teams, and two were not on the list have also got expansion teams. <laughs> So so I must if if you're Detroit and Sacramento who so the situation I always I understood is that that Sacramento had mostly something together but I think that they have had a stadium issue no it's an investor issue the money the money's coming in the the I think it's the money that's coming in and out but I'm not 100% sure um but they have had they have a successful team there and they've been trying to put together this bid for a long time so so they're kind of just just waiting. Come on, guys. Just hanging around waiting for this league. The Sac- Repub- Sacramento Republic. Although the bid is not, as most of these MLS teams do, what or the when teams come up, um, the bid is does not say Sacramento Republic on it. Um mm. in June, we heard uh Where did when, when did we last hear from Sacramento? There's like a something that was labeled as an update that's just saying Sacramento recept, uh people will be at the at the All Star game, but very little has, has come through on that uh on that front. I think they're trying to I think they're trying to look for the investors. The investors want a little bit of certainty. So so that's the big thing for them. But but I mean it's always exciting. Saint Louis has been Saint Louis is, as people notice is note is a is a large media market in the United States, is has a long history of uh, of soccer in the NASL and other leagues and, and lots of famous players from that region. Um, and so it will be exciting it'll it'll be exciting to see, you know, more teams in that zone and, and, and hopefully that can punch up some regional rivalries.
0: So, my, like, this is all well and good, but I guess my question is, like, so, I'm, I've am i kind of lost track. So, are we done now for MLS franchises, or are there more to come? Or is there one more to come? Or is this it?
1: Two more. Garber wants 30. Two, 30.
0: <laughs> and then only the top 14 teams will make it into the playoffs. That's not even a joke. That's <laughs> right. I be Seven, the top seven from each.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, the top forty-four I mean, I mean,
0: teams will make it to the playoffs.
1: With thirty, I mean, that's the thing. Is is, is with thirty, it will be um, like the other leagues with sixteen teams per conference, or sorry, with sixteen right. teams total, 18 per eighteenth per conference, um, which so works out, of course, to. Well, no, it's a like, uh, well. If you, any any of the other teams with. Uh, with two conferences go. Um, oh, right, you know, right, 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 They go with the top eight. I um, the, uh, it'll be interesting to see. They, they called attention to the fact they had, um, that it is the first, uh, majority female ownership group in the league. Um, mm-hmm. which is, which is good because it's great to recognize, um, the achievements of female sports executives. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how things continue on for uh, for St. Louis. I feel like, I feel like because of the the glut of teams that have just been announced and, and the teams that have yet to come, that on um, very little, it's hard to anticipate right now what the character of any of these teams are going to be. So it is kind of a little bit like yeah infa- infancy where you're waiting to see what the what <laughs> what the little tykes develop in terms of a personality or likes or dislikes.
0: (laughs) For sure. I mean, I think it's very clear that um, Inter-Miami is obviously wanting to make a big splash and be noticed. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the Cavani signing is obviously a a sign of things to come. Uh, But you're right. I mean, for me, it's like, it is kind of hard to get excited about the teams at this point because we just know so little about them. And also watching the league, we know that uh, you know, the first couple of years doesn't necessarily mean success, although we've seen it recently. Um, you know, look at Cincinnati as an example this year of a club that has, for the most part, seems like they've done everything right to set up a successful MLS franchise and then beefed it out of the gate. So,
1: Speaking of teams that, that tried very hard to, be, uh, to emulate success of their expansion years and, and have been... Uh, and have had rocky years since then um Bob Leonard Ducey of the Vancouver Whitecaps um will no longer serve as the team's president after being you know the pretty much the face of the franchise since long before um they entered the league mm-hmm. um it, it it is a very interesting um, it's, a, it, it's something that is very interesting to have happened um, the way that it has because obviously things have been very, um, very fractious at Vancouver and, and with the Vancouver fan base um, this year. Results have been a big part of that. The, uh, the scandal involving the Whitecaps women's team from 2008 is also a really big part of that and how that was handled. Um, I think some of the comments that I often see – since this is, is, you know, either people wishing that more people got fired. Um, Leonard Ducey isn't fired. He's being moved to a club liaison position. And they also made clear that this had nothing to do with with any of the scandal or or that handling. But, I mean, season ticket renewal was happening. And, and clearly there is a feeling that they had to do something. And from the little bit of the press conference that I got to see it really felt like there was a sense of resent, almost resentment on the stage that so much of Vancouver's problems, and specifically the, on, uh, the on-field problems, had been blamed on Leonard Uzi.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't seen any of the press conference, but I, I, I've read the press release, and f- for me, this one kind of smacks of like uh, the Whitecaps organization again trying to have its cake and eat its too. Have, it, have its cake and eat it too, where they want to, they quote unquote, want to acknowledge the things that are going wrong and that they've done wrong. They just don't want to take any responsibility for it. And this is like that's, the most polite way of them trying to create some change and satisfy the very visceral anger that's being leveled at Leonard Duzzi and the ownership without really doing anything. And that's so far the criticism that I've mostly read is that, I mean, this is largely a cosmetic change, and if this new sporting or technical director that comes in, like, well, who are they reporting to? Um, And I think you and I had a an offline chat about, like, just caving now all of a sudden to the pressure isn't really like a bold move because realistically the opportunity to do this would have been back in November or December of last year so that maybe by the summer they could have had somebody in place and yeah the, because the real big question is who who do they bring in at this point And it's so late in the game that it it is just... It continues to be sort of like this Band-Aid solution where they're like, look, we're listening! But I think you're right to kind of name it like resentment, is that it's not a positive move, and it's not being done for positive reasons. It may have long-term positive impacts, but, you know, this is a, a front office that has only done things when it's been absolutely forced to. And even then, it's taken... Months to years to make them move.
1: I would say, I would say that, that I definitely the what what people are mad at with the Whitecaps in terms of being um, unwilling in some scenarios to spend or managing some, you know, uh, not having ambition or whatever else this is only step one because step two is, what is the, what's the new vision that you're going to bring in that, that will change this and be inspiring. Um, but beyond signings and ambition, I think that one of the issues is in Leonard Doozy has, I looked up this number and I was looking for it, but it was like, since he's been the majority owner since I think like 2003, 2004. Mm. Um, and, when he was asked about that time when he was sort of like you know being helping helping to 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 pull things together for the Vancouver 86ers after the the, the folding of the NASL he's been basically like a public face from when he was a player all the way to now like there's there's yeah. he was the manager of the Canadian national team for a while but there is a very there are there's a very small amount of time where he was not the person in in the broader BC scheme of things, the person who represents the white caps for politicians, or whatever mm. else. He he was yeah. asked, "What do you what do you remember from those years?" And he said, "The goal was survival." Um, and he has in Some at times seemed like a a like like absolutely his in the past. He's scrapped to keep the club alive. He has had a competitive. Uh, approach sometimes in management, and, and when you read some of the things that are in the blog posts relating to um, the 2008 issue, and also the other blog posts from Kara McCormick that predicts all this about other issues relating to the Whitecaps women's team, he just seems he seems like a scrapper of a manager, or of of, and I don't mean like a soccer manager of a of a, and, well, and I like think you can. It's
0: also fair to say. Regardless of how you feel about Leonard Leonarduzzi, it's fair to say that he doesn't have a ton of business acumen. Like, you know, scrapping and keeping a team alive is one thing, um, and there's a way that resilience can show up and manifest, and it can have some benefits, but, I mean, just being bullheaded isn't necessarily the best approach for things. And doesn't yeah. mean that you actually know what you're doing. It just means you're stubborn, and sometimes people cave to that.
1: And I'm, not, I that can't, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not blaming specific things on him, and I'm not blaming things broadly on him. But, but if you look at – and this is where it comes into um, people who have moved in the last year, as you brought up with this timing mm. thing. Tim Bezbachenko moved from Toronto to Columbus in that time. And Bruce Arena was hired as, as the team president in, in New England and that and that team's manager. And and a lot of people are still talking like the new sporting director is going to be somebody from outside of the league. But if you look at the immediate impact that Arena has had in New England, that's mm. the kind of person mm-hmm. that I want in this position. Like somebody who knows the yeah. league and is is willing to, knows the league, understands how the league's, Byzantine system works, um, and is going to yeah. do what they it understands. What makes a team competitive in this league, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and is it has a vision on how to action that. Now, if you bring in somebody who is a, I don't know how you as much as people say. Well, we're gonna, the the some of the statements suggest that Greg Anderson is going to be. Um, who is the current VP of soccer operations is going to stay on because they might bring in some, from somebody from overseas. Well, I don't know how in a GM role. I guess it's a sporting director role, but there's something. The higher you go up, the 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 more general soccer acumen almost matters less. Yeah, I think that based on um if you think of you know the Vancouver media market um it, trevor linden he was not in terms of somebody who's going to go in and try and eventually um in and have goodwill because he's in the media market and and ultimately maybe if the face of the team and I, <laughs> and, and i'm not trying to i'm not trying to downplay his his importance historically to the team. But if the face of the team was somebody people liked more, or if, if fans felt like they had a reason to feel good about this club, whether it's Mm -hmm. that it was, it's a team that does things the right way, or it's a team whose heart's in the right place or, or whatever. This wouldn't feel like such an inflection point.
0: Does the, okay thing when they are act dragged kicking and screaming across it and even then kind of do it with like a bit of like a alright fine Well, you wanted the things we're gonna do the thing sort of but we're still upset about it
1: working on anyway, that and, we'll and this is one of the things that I tweeted right away was a little trust is is restoring the trust and and between the the franchise and the fans is gonna be very important, if not the almost the most important thing.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I, you I gotta don't want to
1: dwell back. on it.
0: You got to get that goodwill back, and I don't want to like dwell on it too much because it's hardly some sort of uh you know major pious action. But yeah, my seatmate and I canceled our season's tickets this week because. It just hasn't been fun to go to games, and there isn't trust there. And quite apart from the club finally sort of saying they're going to do the right thing, outside of that, we still haven't really seen any public accountability. And it just continues to feel like there's animosity towards anybody that dragged the club through that to, to just stand up and apologize and find a way forward.
1: That was honestly in the hostility that you mentioned is honestly what I really picked up off of that press conference. And yeah. and, and I know that it's a really hard just de- a, a really hard decision to cancel your your tickets and, and this is something that that you and I talked about in in other people have, too. Like, what happens when it stops being that joyous experience?
0: Yeah, and I mean, like, I, I mean, I'm going with friends that's, like, I don't, especially for one friend, like, I don't see her outside of going to the games. So it was literally literally sort of having the conversation of, like, are we still going to be friends? Like, we're actually going to have to schedule watching some games <laughs> on TV. <laughs> because this is our opportunity, like, for a lot of people, is and I see it all around us, or I, I used to. Is that it's people catching up, you know? Life is busy, but you know, going to an mm-hmm. event like this is your opportunity to do some catch up and bond around a shared interest.
1: The um, and and I really hope that changes. I don't know if there's anything, you know, if you say the uh, it's a last stand thing. I don't know if there's anything this season that can change. They've made some, they've made some additions, um, and maybe that can help. Maybe it's yeah. going to be they. Well, maybe. They're, their big Maybe thing as that they tried to transition it to talking about some games is that well, well, they did have nice... a pretty good game. <laughs> I missed I missed it, uh but Vancouver seems to have won a wild one-nothing game in and, and they tweeted out this statistic afterwards that it, or they tweeted out the shot graph that looked just um absolutely horrendous. That was like something in the lines of it was like twenty-four to eight shots, but fourteen of the DC shots were, were off target. It ended up being two to two on target, and in sixty-four percent possession, um, or sixty-four point seven. However, the if you've got a chance to, to watch the whole game, I got to say um, is the was the environment a little bit more. Uh, it doesn't it didn't look as one sided. It didn't look like a team. From the highlights, that was was like constantly trying to fan people off because the Whitecaps got um, a couple of pretty good chances in addition to the one that they scored.
0: Yeah, overall, I would say it was a, a much better. Like the last four or so games have been, uh, despite you know the unfortunate result in Portland. Overall, just a much better effort from the team. Um, getting a goal relatively early on through Reyna helped for sure uh and i think i really think it's that goal that lifted the team up and allowed us to get some more chances Uh, a number of those good shots later in the game came from reyna as well it definitely felt less lopsided i think as we've seen with dc and with philadelphia this season despite being two top top teams you're just never quite sure what you're gonna get with them and they're capable of some truly awful performances. I would say for DC's part, <laughs> it it wasn't that bad, but it certainly wasn't their finest football and uh for those who came to see Rooney do his thing, it was definitely not his night either. Uh, a couple of beautiful like field passes as as we saw that you know like players like Beckham could also do, but in terms of his impact on the game, it was pretty minimal. Um and, and the, the chances he had that normally you'd think he's going to bury that uh, just were way, way, way off, and it just didn't seem to be DC's night. But the thing that's been so frustrating about the Whitecaps this season is that on-field-wise, anyway, when they've had opportunities to take the lead or to do something with the game, they haven't taken it. And playing a DC that was kind of floundering and not, things weren't falling for them. I think it was really important to get an early goal and then continue to press. And that's what we saw from them. Definitely still a team that is shaky in in terms of their own confidence. But the really, like the most positive thing for me out of this was more chances being created, getting an early goal and being able to hang on to that lead. But also uh, seeing to Saint. Rickett's come on, and be like i actually like clutched my friend tim's shoulder and i was like it's a large powerful striker <laughs> making aggressive <laughs> runs he's sitting between the suit two center oh look he got the ball he's and he's running down the wing with it he's also providing and it was just like okay i don't think to st. rickett's is the answer to all our problems by any stretch but i think the overall Grading or first impression for him, obviously he's a a player well known in Canada. Is thank God we have something this season to give us even the slightest little bit of hope and excitement. And through the the ten or twelve, well actually seventeen minutes he was on the pitch because there were seven minutes of out of time. uh, Really strong, aggressive runs, great hold up play, creating chances exactly the kind of large, powerful forward we've been missing. Um, It's definitely ironic. (laughs) I almost choke on those words, but it was a sight for sore eyes to just see a big strong striker playing well, um, with technical ability, you know?
1: Um, the, the Theo Bear note that I love, I don't know if you've seen this quote, um, have you heard, seen uh, uh, Mark Dos Santos' quote on Theo Bear?
0: I don't think so.
1: It's another classic. It's another classic that, that if he continues working like that, he can have a very good career. Uh, dot dot dot. But it's important that we say why. Why did you get, get get to that? We live in, I've said before, a microwave society. The fans want things now. The players want things now. Me, I prefer pizza in the oven. That seven-minute microwave pizza sucks. (laughs) Even five minutes, some of them. You put your finger in the core of that pizza, it's frozen. My kids love it, by the way. But many of the people and the players, unfortunately, here in Canada, I saw it a lot. They want it now. There's big entitlement. I could talk about this publicly, Theo. He started with a little bit of entitlement, then I felt he was broken. He went on development squad for one month or five weeks. When he came back, he came back on a mission. Um, he, uh, he said, according to Jonathan Tannewald on Twitter.
0: <laughs> oh, MDS.
1: Never <laughs> change.
0: Stick, stick around for no other reason than just those sort of choice quotes. He seems to like his food, that guy.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the things that I was I loved this week is it we had so many. I think this was the week of wild draws for me. Montreal, yeah, Montreal, yeah. Dallas was really but, one of those. Um, something,
0: something of uh, the business end of the season really seems to bring it out in MLS, where we just decide to stop defending entirely. Um, in I mean in the in the Montreal Dallas one I think there was a couple of fortunate ones but um, and and just some runs that players stayed with to finish it off but it is kind of I mean of course when you see a draw you're kind of like well did anything really happen but in a three three draw it's almost like ah. Uh, yeah, I mean soccer was played and it happened, but can you really say either team played particularly well if both let in three goals?
1: I think at this point in the season the thing is 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 all about playoffs. So even even coming back to get the even coming back to get the draw or to not get the draw can really make a difference. Um you can look back at the you know, the end of the year and say that it made a big difference. Um the first half in this game was all Lassie Lapalinenan. The, yeah, it sure was the, the new Finnish striker who who got two. Um, I, I particularly enjoyed this little ball forward from Daniel Lovitz that seemed to skip ahead of the defender before it found him. Um, and Okonkwo uh, scored just after the halftime. And I'm thinking, I'm planning a trip to Montreal next week to watch the Whitecaps game. I'm like, is this the wrong time to go to be going to watch Montreal? Um, but Dallas kept pressing. Um, yeah. and they were eventually they were able to um to first get a lucky in and, and you're right to say lucky, right? Um a a defender's making a flash clearance with his with his head and it bounces to a Dallas attacker who shoots, it's saved, and they score on the second rebound. That is that's pressure, but it's also lucky. And then they get a penalty because Ken Krolicki's arms are up and as as a player is underneath him, like, like Krolicky is standing on the ground, a player is on his knees, uh, Ryan Hawley's head, <laughs> heading it yeah. up into his arms. Um, and then that yep. makes it 3 2, and they're able to complete this exciting final, uh, final goal to equalize at 90 minutes.
0: Yeah, and a good, good old fashioned center back goal to get the point. I love it. And we've talked about these two teams as needing some consistency, so I would say that this one definitely tells us more about Dallas, that to come back from 3-0 and get uh, a massive road point like this against uh, a team like Montreal is definitely very, very good. Uh, Montreal, I just... (laughs) What else can you say but, like, what are you guys?
1: You know, this team...
0: (laughs) Has won so many games and scored, they've scored, uh, you know, a not insignificant number of goals and yet, uh, you know, they're sitting just hovering above the the playoff line and now tied for points with uh, Toronto and Orlando. In the East,
1: you have five teams in five teams in two playoff spots separated by two points. And with the yeah. exception of Chicago, uh, this is New England, Montreal, Orlando, Toronto. All of them drew this week.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's going to be a nail biter down to the end. I feel in the Eastern Conference. One
1: of those was uh, one Of those was New York Red Bulls, New England, um, where uh, you had Chakowski uh, catching a clearance at the top of the box and burying it on a second touch. Um, you. It really felt there was a lot where where Bradley Ray Phillips was trying to uh, was trying to make it count. Um, in, in, I feel like BWP has not had the strongest season, but he also has mm. met a, a a forested Matt Turner who got two great saves off of him. Um, it was um, it was Bo who uh, who tied things up for New England. Um, Carlos's ball sprung him and, and he beat Robles one-on-one. Um, a couple other good chances in the game, but, but mostly it was two teams. Red Bull's not necessarily finding the same success out of some of the things that they had leaned on before. And, and I, and so I think that it's as the away team and as the away team that is, is trying to improve and has improved all their way back into the, into a playoff spot um that point is good certainly if they hadn't have got that point they would have they would have been continuing to be in the logjam um they are going to Red Bull sit 3 points ahead of them they're they're the team in the pole position in this in this um in this 5 team pack Red Bull sit ahead of them and i think that they are going to need to get some more wins against playoff teams and teams in contention if they are going to be able to hold on to that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I
1: mean, they, overall, they, sucked, though, they sucked at the beginning of the year, but we they can't lean on, uh, as much as I uh, was just about to let them do it, they, we can't let them lean on, they're an improving team.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. And, and I think that's a, the, the difficult thing that's easy to forget about teams like New England. Um, San Jose, I think, falls into that category as well, is they have these terrific runs, and then you're like, oh, look how they're doing so good. But are like, all of that means is they're making up the lost ground for such terrible starts, but it's almost harder now that they're in playoff contention because now they've got to stay there, and they don't have a proven track record of really beating tough opponents. So the hard work begins now for them. Absolutely. Um, the easy part was turning it around. Now it's hanging on to that.
1: No doubt. Um, Toronto faced Columbus. Columbus. Uh, in what ended up being a, a two-two draw in the in the Trillium Cup, which is their rivalry series, um, Toronto got the first goal, playing out of the overload to Osorio. Uh, Pedro Santos stayed stuck in and, and equalized after connecting on a thirty-yard pass. Uh, loved this. Loved this near miss. That was a, a shot that hit Quentin Westberg and kind of just like bounced off the bar. Like not. Like, it wasn't a, a normal shot off the bar. It's like it landed on the top of the bar <laughs> almost and rolled over. Um, David Acom scored for Columbus to put them ahead. But on the 96th minute, uh, it was Josie Altador who, or no, it was 96th minute. Sorry, it was, uh, it was number 96 who found Josie Altidore, um for the 2-2 win. And, and I honestly think that Columbus looks a little bit more impressive here. Mm-hmm. Um, which is funny to say about the team that's not in contention. Um, but Toronto did the business to keep themselves in the mix.
0: Yeah, which I think speaks to, to kind of the point about uh, the, the mid-season turnaround. I mean, I know we're still talking about draws here, but Toronto is, has at least finally found a way to like stop some of the hemorrhaging a little bit. I don't know. I mean, Toronto right now is just sort of one of those teams where you're like, yeah, everybody expected more this season, and, I mean, they're not out of it. I still think they fall into that group of teams, though, in the East where you're like, look, even if they go on a great run and, let's say, really optimistically end up fourth, which is certainly within their grasp right now, and given the teams above them and their inconsistency, it could happen. But we haven't seen enough of a really complete Toronto performance, um, where you really fancy them getting past two stiff rivals in the knockout stages.
1: Um, The I've got more draws for you. Don't don't think that I can't stop supplying. Don't adjust
0: your set
1: Uh, because Minnesota had a one-one draw with Orlando. um, Mm -hmm. With with some pretty good chances uh, for Quintero and Metanere in the first half. Um, Aiko Parra had a kind of a pushing tackle on Nani for a penalty. If you look at it, his neon boot, certainly like there was contact and, and, and Nani went down, um, but it wasn't in and, and there really wasn't an attempt to, to play the ball, but it wasn't one of those crunching tackles. But, but in any case, Nani buried it. Um, Abu Donladi uh, is the one on 92 minutes. Altador's goal in the last game was on the 90th minute. Uh, Donladi scored a 92. The other one that we're talking, the other uh, the three three game was on uh, was on 96. So teams really leaving it late, leaving it late to secure their draws this week. Um, the uh, he, the the header falls for him in. in Bounces, okay, so a header falls, from, like an attacking header off of a corner falls, and bounces off a defender's knee, and Don Lottie hits that out of the air for the goal. I don't know if that counts as a volley or not.
0: <laughs> I mean, it counts as a goal. I'm sure that's all Lottie cares about. The old anyway, anyhow. Can you do me a favor for a second and just go to the uh, Western Conference standings? <laughs> Just indulge me for a moment. Yes. Uh can you read off the team in the first place?
1: Uh a Los Angeles Football Club. Yeah, no, Wait.
0: not not surprising. Can you read off the team in second place, please?
1: How in Minnesota United FC. How are they in, How are they in second? That yeah. How mm-hmm. is this true?
0: Mhm. And then you sort of like there's got to be something tricky with the numbers here now granted uh the next team below them is LA Galaxy away by 1 point and then they've got RSL and Seattle below just 2 points away however when you look at their goals for and goals against um you'll notice that they're they've got a pretty good record for the Western Conference <laughs> and I'm I'm just going to come out and say it when you look at if you look uh, a little further further down to 10th place in SKC, uh, what does Minnesota have that SKC doesn't? Aikopara, that's what they have. <laughs> uh, good defendi- Now, of course, that's not the only reason. It also helps to have a, a crap ton of attacking talent, but... This just to me illustrates such a, a perfect point of how far you can come by adjusting the right pieces and not throwing out the whole thing just because you have a couple of miserable seasons.
1: Absolutely, I think that Minnesota this year that the, what's what's surprising to me is that if you care, compare them, for instance, to a Philadelphia who occupy the same spot in the other conference, I would put I would pick Philadelphia over Minnesota, um, mm-hmm. but. They do do a lot of the same stuff well. They have got Aikupara. That's huge. Um, I also want to point to their eight win, one loss, uh, five draw home record, which is, I think, Mm -hmm. something that that, uh, the only other team, uh, LAFC is is undefeated at home. Uh, Atlanta has a better home record. And uh, New York City has a slightly better home record, but has played fewer games. L.A. Galaxy is another team that found their way to a draw this week. What it's a the draw? week of draws? Um, after uh, six minutes in, uh, Daniel Stares clumsily hauls down Raul Ruiz Diaz on six minutes for a red card to start in his middle third, like five yards into his he- into his own half.
0: You can't do that. <laughs>
1: In uh, Seattle, gets a pan. Seattle almost surrenders a penalty a minute later, but it's voided. Um, the you have uh, uh, there is a goal that's scored. I don't know if it's Harry Ship or Jordan Morris that's rolling around on the ground waiting to get a call for penalty. <laughs> you just can't do that. Uh, but Seattle scored anyway, so I guess that there's no penalty... There's there, you know there's no pain in the in the in the grand scheme of things for doing that uh ibrahimovic uh is hauled down for a penalty kick in the second half so they la get their their pk eventually uh but <laughs> uh there he is no it's is it seattle who who scores this an amazing own goal just a fantastic one <laughs> And and I had it in my notes that it was LA, but maybe I that, that, that did this to themselves. But I could be wrong. If my if my oh yeah yeah it is right right because we're Ra- out right. Reedias scores on forty two, so it's Seattle one. LA scores twice and they have the lead. And then at the eighty second minute, um, somebody uh, Seattle is taking a shot and it hits Bingham. And it bounces straight up. Like Bingham saves it with his hands, and it goes straight up into the path of a defender who is running full speed <laughs> above his own goalkeeper. And it bounces off the head of Jorgen Skelvich uh, before he can know any different. And he's like, he watches this ball roll for 15 yards.
0: It's not, it's not a good look, admittedly.
1: <laughs> uh... <laughs> Do you know who did not draw this week? Who that? The Chicago Fire, who beat Philadelphia 2-0. Another example of this weirdness in MLS where Chicago is 10th in the conference and Philadelphia is still holding up the number two position. Um, yeah. But they were pretty comprehensively beat here, um, partially because um, C.J. Sapon just couldn't make a chance fall for himself. Uh, against his old team, for, um, Nemanja Nikolic scored with a off of a nice ball that uh, that found him uh, ahead of his defender, um, and uh, there was a there was a penalty, but the penalty was voided, I think. Um, anyways, it, it was, Sapong did score it for sure, uh, but Miko Gaetan got uh sent off for Chicago while they were up to nothing but they uh, but Philadelphia was not able to um, collect on that
0: no and interestingly too that uh, red car has since been rescinded so Gaitan will be back in action next week and which I think is okay i mean looking at it I'm it's one of those calls where I'm like yeah i, I can see where it's a red um but, I mean, truly, who knows what why things get recalled or why they stand anymore. So, I think it's fine to overturn it as well. And certainly the fire won't be uh, too upset about having him back in things. But, good result for Chicago. Um, that just, it was yeah, was the most consistent. Oh.
1: Yeah, not the most consistent.
0: Yeah, um, but against sort of slowly, quietly putting something together. Um, They had a midweek game as well, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Losing out to Portland in the Wednesday game. Um, But still scoring some goals. Also had a player sent off uh, in that one. For me, the big thing with Chicago, just sort of looking ahead and looking back at the year, is really that... It highlights the need to spend in the right areas, and the right areas probably not a player like Schweinsteiger and having him play as a center back for most of the season. You could argue that Chicago is where they are because they've scraped together a few points, having a player of Schweinsteiger's experience who can just kind of play anywhere because he's so good. But um, I feel like this experiment we can call done and. Chicago desperately needs to to spend on some center backs because the midweek game against Portland was just one of the most shocking displays of inept defending I've seen this season and that's saying something.
1: <laughs> um San, uh, San Jose Earthquakes in the midst of 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 all of these draws in, in the the tight position not as tight as the Western Co- Eastern Conference but it's pretty tight in the it's tight in the West right now between three teams for two positions. Um, went to Sporting Kansas City, I think, with the the chance that a win could really uh, help solidify their position, and they didn't get it.
0: <laughs> they they really didn't. Uh, it's it's kind of wild, isn't it? Um, this game especially. And this result is—you feel like the way the earthquakes have been performing, this one's an open and shut case, and they just couldn't quite make it happen for themselves. I mean, despite getting the Wondolowski goal early on, and just nobody deciding to mark him because why would you mark the greatest goal scorer in league history uh, for a free header? Um, just runs onto the back. Know, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, but slowly, 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 SKC scrapes their way back into it. Um, goal through Benny Failhaber gets them back into it. And then this just never say die finish that I'm not sure Graham Smith knew too much about until it was in the back of the net um, and he finally gets his first ever MLS goal. But it, it shows some, some signs of life in a team that we have been uh, maligning much. And we certainly didn't have high praise for last week. So they're keeping themselves somewhat close to the pack. But it, it's it's still crazy to think that they're seven points apart from each other in the table. So San Jose is still holding on to sixth place. SKC still has uh, a lot of ground to make up, but it's not impossible for them.
1: With all of these these, these teams that are stalled, um, Houston could still maybe... They're sitting six out. Uh... Of a playoff spot, and and, but that's only that's only two. If you look at the, the idea that they have a couple of games in hand on say Dallas, um, that would isn't necessarily an insurmountable obstacle. Um, but this draw that they had against Colorado, this amazing comedy of uh, not a comedy of errors because I'm a big stickler about that term. Um, it has to be it has to be mistaken identity. But Diego Rubio scoring on seven minutes after picking up a pop-up header outside the box, Houston hits the bar and Rubio uh, doubles it up for Houston with this slow pass for center backs. Just the slowest, just just the most um, the most inoffensive, uh, just the most inoffensive pass. the the. the the easiest thing to execute. It feels like they passed. They made this pass so slowly that Rubio had it felt like half an hour to get back there and dispossess the both of them and uh, and get past the, the keeper. And you'd think, wow, Colorado had really made this. Colorado had really made it happen, but eventually yeah. Houston does come back and get the point um, with two goals from Maro Minotis. Um, one of which is a long pass that looks outside, but it isn't and then uh, another that is like a cutback that comes from the end line, but it almost like if you were just looking at it, you would assume that the pass was coming from another player who sort of steps off and then lets it roll to the guy behind him or to the to Minotis who's running on behind him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I guess yeah. it's Houston that does draw a level, but they really made a meal of this one
0: yeah i mean i I still think Colorado looks the better side here and and Houston despite i mean you could say inconsistency is how you could describe both teams but i I still feel like Colorado looks like a more threatening presence. Houston definitely has their moments, but it's it's just not been enough for them this season and i I'm not sure without some real leadership at the helm uh, there's a lot that they can do to to better their position um and the fact that Colorado's only Four points behind. I don't. I, I know it seems crazy, but I just feel like in my gut, call the um, the momentum is behind Colorado.
1: If you look at some of your 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 key teams, L.A.C. Um, L.A.C. Um, went to R.S.L. and and R.S.L. looked really good, and it felt like they. I, felt, I really felt for them in this, this 2 nothing loss to the league yeah. leaders because I felt that there are so many... They caught... They were hanging on the skin of their teeth at 0-0 for so long. An amazing re- reaction save from Nick Raimondo. Uh Diamante yeah. hits the post. Uh, RSL clears off the line, but it's a handball. But VAR comes and decides that it's not a penalty. It's like... They came so close to being scored on so many times that I just thought, if they could... In Walker Zimmerman of LAFC gets sent off uh, yeah, a second like yellow. The,
0: the, the dream scenario for being gifted some points off of the best team in the league. And it just it can't happen for them. Um, and it's unfortunate. You know. You can't really say that LAFC didn't deserve the three points. But you, it's, you certainly feel like RSL is kind of grieved here uh,
1: so close so close and it, soccer
0: no one said soccer life was fair though
1: vela eventually gets his penalty and it felt like from that point on the dam was bust um, yeah and then the, it was a hand on the shoulder call that ended up on a red card which i don't know if you about that but um the they scored again soon afterwards
0: yeah I, th- I think the, uh, the second yellow is always a, a difficult one for people to swallow because, of course, it's resulting in a red card. But I think given that early into the game, it's certainly a, a, the yellow the first yellow is definitely a yellow card. And then I think to to make a play where you, you're not just sticking out your leg to trip the player, but you're also p- holding them back to prevent a breakaway, uh, it's kind of hard to argue that it's not a foul and if you've already been warned and you're already in the book, you're running that risk. And I think a player of Walker Zimmerman's experience needs to uh, to keep his head a little better there. I mean, if he just stands the player up and just puts his body in front, he'll maybe get a foul and not the card. But, you know, he's, he's doing two things there to pull the player to ground that's preventing the run. Uh, of course, somebody's going to find a reason to say that it's an unfair call, but... I, I don't know that there's too much else the, the ref can do there.
1: It's amusing to me because of all these draws that it's like the conclusive games like this one are almost the least interesting because it's, the, you know, a little bit. New York city, FC well, four, FC Cincinnati one. Are you surprised by anything that happens there?
0: No, exactly. Yeah, it's true. There was, there were definitely, the draws had some interesting points to them and, and did tell us a little bit more about some of these teams but I, I agree. I mean, the Atlanta-Portland game, I just kind of shrug my shoulders and go, well, that's a game of football that happened and kind of what you would expect.
1: The, uh, with that one, the, the big thing, uh, I did watch the penalties for this Campeones Cup, which is a Super Cup that happens in the middle of the season for no reason, between MLS and Emma Emeekes. Atlanta somehow beat uh, Club America. But I think that the thing is, is that America was there. That first goal that comes very early, is it's a friendly mm-hmm. goal. This this was a friendly, and, and, and it really did seem, I haven't, somebody that was watching the full thing may have a different opinion, but it, it does seem that it was not played, at least on the, the part of the Mexican side, and, you know, at full stretch, and, and why would you? Uh, the major storyline that was running through that, 2 win was um, Joseph Martinez, who had that amazing miss last week or the week before that ended up there the, is like the lone MLS uh, moment in the misplays of the month package that I ended up staring at for no reason last night. Um, <laughs> the uh, on, on Sportsnet, Martinez on that one had this stutter, this stutter step that that immediately, like, he took some time and and put it right over the bar. So it felt like he stuttered even longer. He stuttered for, like, a second and a half, and then it was saved incredibly easily. But he was then later called. There was another penalty later on. No stutter step. He scored it. So all in one day game, he, he confirmed this penalty, jinx, and then he, I guess... um he dispelled it. So it is we but but all of this is to say that, that people have looked at the rough start Atlanta has had and now they're in the um the number one position in the Eastern Conference and people are uh, looking at them now as, as one of the big players in the league and it and what timing what better timing is there than that to replay the MLS final <laughs> with this Portland Atlanta game. And it, I feel like it was very frustrating for the Portland fans.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, the crazy thing is when you think about coaching tactics, and I know DeBoer's come under a, a ton of fire, uh, and almost exclusively that this season for his tactics and focusing so defensively on the early part of the season. And, you know, that meant that his team coughed up an awful lot of points, especially away. However... When you look at their home record, and you look at, again, the goals against versus goals for, you start to see that maybe there was some method to that madness there, and that it's probably not a bad idea to instill some good defensive principles in a team. And that's really the only thing that they were missing. Granted, they still got an MLS Cup for it, but I think to be successful in the long term, uh, DeBoer came in and saw that this was a club that... Obviously, the attacking pieces were there, but defensively, we've talked about it uh-huh. that they're a team that you can score against and you can get results against. Um, and they've got the fewest goals against in the Eastern Conference. So, and they're in the first, number one position. So, come playoff time, it's not s- such a bad thing to have coughed up, you know, those eight away games earlier in the season to get your defensive principles figured out and be able to put games like this to bed especially against a team like Portland. Um, This is quite, uh, it may not be the sexiest way to have a season, and we're getting a little bit spoiled with these historic runs from expansion sides and and from clubs, but this to me shows um, some real coaching prowess, which is not the thing you'd necessarily associate with Frank DeBoer. But there we go.
1: Till next week. Where can we find you online? You can
0: find me online uh, on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. Where can we find you?
1: You can find me online at Twitter, um, on Twitter, at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. You can find this podcast at www.thatsomls.com. So com. and, um, and on Apple Podcasts and wherever you can find podcasts, please rate, review, subscribe. We are not going to change our name, even though Rooney used ML, MSL in a hashtag. But you cannot, Just to
0: MSL.
1: You cannot find that's us online at that's So MSL. I need to clear. I need to make that clear.
0: There's also a fun little bit where I, I feel like Ben Olsen might think that uh, Canada is not a country. But we don't need to get into that. But just go for your own amusement. Go look at Ben Olson's post-game con- <laughs> It's It's fun. Uh, great. Well, until next week, uh, don't get yourself sent off.
1: Hooray!